series that I've been giving you is entitled Pregnant in Nazareth. Well, I got that last week and I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe that's um, not uh, a very good title because people are a bit embarrassed by this notion. But the fact is that it's a down-to-earth title of exactly what happened. A young Jewish woman who happened also to be a virgin was pregnant. Now we know the story, the inside story. This was nothing to do with any human intervention. It was God himself who intervened carrying the Christ child into this world. And that story is so otherworldly that at times it is very important to remind ourselves at how exactly down-to-earth it is, pregnant in Nazareth. And we're going to look at a passage today that introduces the Messiah being born into the world in fulfillment of prophecy named Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what I want you to take home today, this message that God is always with you and he's always there for you. God is always there for you. He always draws close to you in intimate fellowship and relationship. And in so doing, he is fulfilling your purpose for being. Created to be in fellowship with God. Deep fellowship. The New Testament describes it as Christ in you. The living temple of the Holy Spirit. Broke, unbroken communion. Not just that you might talk to him and fellowship with him, but that, you, that he may help you as the one who is your sustainer your provider, your protector, your healer. Everything you need is found in that relationship. But also that he might draw you into a partnership with himself because there's a job to do, there's work to do, God's purposes are being carried forward. We're going to read the story, one, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So, while, she thought, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.'" 
So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the Emmanuel promise. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Words spoken to the then king of Judah, Ahaz. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. They were troubled times in the kingdom of Judah. Seven centuries, eighth century, late eighth century BC. Israel had divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, Israel with its Samaria as the capital. Southern kingdom, Judah, with Jerusalem at its capital. That division in 922 BC had come about due to infighting following Solomon's reign. Now the tensions had increased. A superpower was being forged across the ancient world. The Assyrian Empire was mounting and mounting and Ahaz, king of Judah, thought, I better watch out for that kingdom. Maybe if I make friends of the Assyrians, I would be protected. But in doing so, he was forgetting that God was the source of his protection. God was the source of his supply and it was in God he should be trusting. Now to add fuel to the fire, the northern kingdom... Israel, King Pekah, had formed an alliance with the Syrian king, Reason. And they were coming together to attack Jerusalem. So, you know, Middle Eastern politics and global geopolitical politics is the same today as it was back in those days, full of intrigue, full of difficulty, and the most important thing to realize is that God calls us to trust in him. So God sent Isaiah to speak to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, don't trust in the Assyrians. Trust in the living God. And Ahaz said, yes, of course, I will do that. But God knew better because Ahaz was secretly concealing his motive of forming an alliance with Assyria. So God takes it further and through Isaiah says to Ahaz, ask me for a sign to show you that I am the God who is faithful, the God who will fulfill his promises, the God who will never let you down, the God who is worthy of your trust. Ask me and I'll show you a sign. Whatever sign you ask, I will do it to show you that I am with you. And Ahaz said, Oh no, Lord, far be it from me to put you to the test. What's going on here? Suddenly Ahaz is becoming more spiritual than God. I've met quite a few people like that in my lifetime. Oh, God says this, but oh, no, 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 I wouldn't ask you to do that, Lord. But God had offered. 
So God said, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. This is the sign to know that I am with you, that you can trust me, that I'm faithful to my promises, and I'm never going to let you go, and I'm never going to abandon you. The virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. Well, Ahaz never trusted the Lord, and we have good reason to believe, of course, that God said, right, the sign that I promised you will now be given to another generation. And the sign that I promised you will not just be a sign that I can keep Israel and Judah safe and I can preserve Jerusalem. This will be a sign of my desire to dwell amongst men forever so that my salvation will come to the earth so the whole earth will be mine and my glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that is what happened when the angel announced to Joseph in a dream, saying... Don't be frightened to take Mary as your wife because her pregnancy is not the result of her infidelity. Her pregnancy is the result of the promise and purpose of God. The virgin shall conceive. Back in Ahaz's day, of course, God was faithful. The prophecy went on to say, that before the child would be of age to discern good and evil, which in Jewish understanding is about 12 years of age, and 12 years later, not only was Israel defeated and uh, Samaria well on the way to destruction, Damascus was completely overthrown and Syria was totally defeated. I want to let you know this. God has not changed, friends. He's still the God who's in control of the nations. What is going on in modern Syria and in modern Iraq and what is going on in the nations of the world, God is not ignorant of those things. And our God is faithful and our God is able. Amen and amen. So this promise of a virgin being conceived was, might have been taken in a slightly different sense in Isaiah's day. The virgin, the young woman, a woman who is married and, 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 and virgin, no sex before marriage, then enters into a sexual relationship with her husband and the child is born, and it seems to be kind of natural and not supernatural. But behind this lies the picture of a supernatural intervention which goes beyond natural birth and natural conception to a supernatural conception, just as the angel said, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And the word conceived there is actually the word fathered, begotten. In other words, you are not the father, Joseph, and no human being is the father, but God himself has intervened and produced a supernatural conception as a sign that God is intervening in the world. How amazing. And this name, Emmanuel, might have meant in Isaiah's day, well, God is with us, hallelujah. No, 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 it was much more than that. God is going to presence himself on this planet. He's going to manifest himself in human flesh on this planet. By the time the New Testament came about, people had begun to understand the full meaning of this promise. We know that John's gospel makes it very clear. 
John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. And then it goes on to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, Emmanuel, Yahweh, God himself with us. Again, this shows us the radical transformation of our thinking once Christ has come. There are two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but only one God. He is the same God. The God of the Old Testament is the same God, the God whom we worship, who the gospel reveals to us is not only God Almighty, but he is the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can this be? Did Mary, on hearing these words, along with Joseph and other of the faithful Jews, the remnant of that day, say, oh, right, now we understand. God is not one. There are three of them. Is that what they thought? Of course not. These were faithful Jews who held towards an absolute monotheism. And we have inherited that. The God of Israel is our God. And the same Shema which was spoken every day in Israel is spoken in our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the faith declaration of ancient Israel. And we can say amen to every single word of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And because he is one, we don't divide our loyalty and worship him alongside other things because there's only one God who requires and demands, elicits and motivates us to love him and him alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Oh yes, there is only one God. Christians do not believe in three gods. We believe in only one God. One God. There is one being who is God, supreme over all things. Hallelujah. And no other gods exist but him. The God of Israel is the only one and true God. And his name is Yahweh. Amen. Amen. But when we discover how Yahweh has come into this world, the Word was made flesh. What happened to the universe? Who was at the driving wheel of the universe? If you stepped out of your car or got into the back seat and, and you're the driver, who's going to drive when you're not sitting there? Well, the universe didn't collapse because God the Father was in control. He came into this world through God the Son. So we have one being, and the Bible shows us with stories like this and everything else we find in the New Testament that this one God, one being, God, is in three persons eternally. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what we learn from the God of Israel. That he is one God, but even in the Old Testament, the roots of the teaching of Trinity are there. But I will show you how the God of the Old Testament is, enti is entirely consistent to think that that God should manifest himself on this earth. Entirely consistent. And the monotheism we celebrate and share together 
is not the monotheism of a God who is only infinitely exalted above everything and we can have no contact with him, no fellowship with him at all. There are religions and philosophies that teach us today. Islam, for example, teaches us that God, whom they call Allah, who is not the God of the Bible, this God is no father. This God is so exalted in their concept that it is utterly impossible for anybody to know him, anybody to know anything about him, and all the 99 names which are given to him, only Allah knows what they mean. We can't even begin to know what they mean. That's true Islam. And what we respect about that is this desire to see God as holy and high and exalted and you don't mess with him. That's good, but it's only half the truth. The God of Israel is not just a God who is hidden far away outside of his creation, inaccessible, in a, in a, in a, a, accessible, higher than even the seventh heaven, no communion, no relationship. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible comes down to earth. The God of the Bible draws close to you. The God of the Bible is always near you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now that's consistent. Jeremiah 23 says... Verse 23, exactly what I'm saying here. God says, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So shall I not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? You get it? He doesn't just fill heaven, he fills the earth. Isaiah 57, verse 15 putting these two thoughts side by side. Yes, he is the exalted God who inhabits eternity, who existed before the world was created, but he is still that God who lives within his creation and manifests himself. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. We can say amen. amen. What an awesome God we serve. But it goes also to say, and with him who has a contrite and humble heart, humble spirit, to re revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God's everywhere presence fills the whole universe. There is no place where you can hide from him. He is everywhere he is present everywhere, but we see also in the Bible that his everywhere presence becomes his manifest presence at certain points in time and in history. He enters into the space-time continuum and manifests himself in tangible ways. In the beginning in the Garden of Eden, every evening in the cool of the day, the Lord God himself would wander through the garden and go for a walk with Adam and Eve and have fellowship with his creation. What was that like? They knew they were in the presence of God, that God was walking the earth way back in those days. Fast forward to the time of the patriarchs. Abraham spoke with God on this planet in the Oaks of Mamre. Jacob at Bethel, wrestling with the angel of the Lord also. This tells us that the God of the Bible is the God who moves, the God who acts, and the God who manifests himself in this world. Amen. In fact, that's the whole heart of the covenant promise. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will dwell amongst them, says the Lord. Amen. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, 
That's what the tabernacle of glory was about, and that's what the temple was about. If you look back into the history of ancient Israel, you know that Moses was commanded to construct a tabernacle, which was a kind of prefabricated, portable, tent-like cathedral. And God said, I'm going to dwell in your midst. And God says, I'm going to live in a tent. He, he went camping. God so loves to be with us that he's even prepared to camp in the midst of us. Some of the young boys to men who graduated yesterday had their own camping experience in the forest. And some of these London-born, London-bred had no idea how to spend a good night out in the forest in the camp camping in a tent. But God chose to dwell in a tent, and we saw it. The Shekinah glory was manifested. God was dwelling amongst his people. That's where he longs to dwell, manifest himself, and dwell in the midst of his people. Emmanuel, God with us. And then when the more permanent temple of Solomon was built, the same glory filled that temple, and it lasted right until the end of the Davidic kingdom. And the book of Ezekiel tells us in shocking terms, you read in Ezekiel 10, how the glory of God is lifted in incremental stages away from the temple and so the temple remains empty and then ready to be destroyed during the period of exile God was not dwelling amongst his people how much did they long for God's presence oh God the Old Testament name for God very often is Yahweh which means the God who is there to be with you, the God who is there to help you, the God who is there to sustain you, the God who is there to manifest his power on your behalf, that God. When are you coming back, oh God? Isaiah prophesied. This time in chapter 40. Here is the great theme which inspired Handel in his Messiah that great musical piece, very inspired. Comfort ye, comfort ye, Jerusalem. What was the comforting all about? God was coming back. God is saying the, the time of exile is over. Warfare is ended. I've come to bless you. I've come to forgive you. It's time for me to be back with you again. Look at this specifically, verse 9 of Isaiah 40. Oh, Zion... You who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. Oh, Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. God was coming back. Verse 10, behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand. Amen and amen. amen. He is coming. The messenger of the temple will appear. God himself will manifest his presence. Yahweh is coming back to the temple, exactly as Ezekiel prophesied. He said there's going to be a new temple, a new priesthood, and the people of God were going to be cleansed, and there's going to be not just a new temple, there's going to be a new priesthood, there's going to be a Messiah dwelling there, there's going to be a renewed Jerusalem, and the name of this new Jerusalem, what is it called? Yahweh Shammah. The Lord who is there. Now when we come to the angel's announcement to Joseph, no wonder it's such good news. Joseph! The time of waiting is over. The years of exile are over. 
Living outside of the favor of God, it's over. The blessing is coming now. God's presence is coming back. God is going to visit his people. He's coming to dwell in his holy temple. That's why they called him Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. And that's what happened. Now you say, well, how could it happen? Didn't you know, Colin, that in AD 70, the whole temple was destroyed? As Jesus said, not one stone we laid upon another. Herod's temple taking 38, 40 years to build. That was going to be destroyed. And beyond that, AD 135, there's going to be a complete destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish people are going to be deported. And not until 1948, there would be no more Jewish presence or Jewish government in that land all those years. How can you say the exile is reversed? Well, Jesus was saying there is a new temple. Remember, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will build it in three days. They said, are you crazy? Do you know how long it's taken to build Herod's temple? The second temple, the one that was built after, after, um, well, that was restored and repaired after the second temple. What, are you, are you, are you crazy? And, and the evangelist has to say, hey, he was talking about his body. He wasn't talking about these bricks and mortar, these stones. He was talking about his body because now Messiah himself is the temple of God. He is dwelling in his temple. God has come back to visit his people. God manifested in his holy temple. That's the language of John chapter 1. He, the word, was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled. It's temple tabernacle language. We beheld his glory. That's the glory of his presence. So we find that God is faithful to his Jewish promises and we are heirs of those promises because when he comes, he's not just a gift to one race, but the gift to all the nations of the world. The light of the world has come. Hallelujah and hallelujah. And beyond that, we understand that we are built around him as a temple community. And now we, corporately, we are the temple of the Lord because we're joined to Messiah, because we're in Messiah, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, just as the Holy Spirit indwelled every temple that God had ever allowed to be erected. But the temple of the Holy Spirit in these days is not a temple that can be made or measured with hands. It's his supernatural presence Amongst his people, God dwelling in our hearts. Emmanuel, God with us. So the Emmanuel promise has been fulfilled. No wonder they were excited. And the moment that promise is fulfilled, the Emmanuel blessing can flow. The Emmanuel blessing, three things about the Emmanuel blessing before we finish today. The Emmanuel blessing, that is God's presence with us. Meaning God is always there for you. I want you to notice, first of all, the miraculous nature of this presence. The miracle of his presence. What did he do in the first instance? A woman, a virgin, this was a sign. She became pregnant by God's operation in her directly. That was to say there's something supernatural happening. God's coming into this world is supernatural. And it's just as supernatural as when the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus in your heart and you receive Christ as your Savior. It's supernatural. 
When you open your heart to receive Jesus, it's supernatural. When Mary said, be it unto you, be it unto me according to your word, I believe that what the Lord has said will happen. That was supernatural faith. The prototype believer. A woman who says, I'm going to trust God. Ahaz didn't trust God. Mary trusted God and pointed us in the same way. We trust God. We receive Christ into our hearts as our Savior, and that's supernatural. The miracle of his presence. This shows us that God will do whatever it takes to get to be with you. If he has to move heaven, he'll move heaven. If he has to shake the earth, he'll shake the earth. If he has to do a one-off supernatural miracle and cause a chaste virgin woman to conceive, he will do it. He will do everything it takes to get to be with you. Amen. And with us. Don't forget, this is Emmanuel, God with us. Not Emmanuel, God with me only. Yes, it is. Thank, thank God he's with me. But this is a shared experience. We become the temple community. So when we share together in church services and our network of friendships and, and cells and fellowship, when we do that, God is in the midst. This is Jesus' promise where even two or three gather. There am I in the midst. So there's the miracle of his presence. Look also at the humanity of his presence. This is so important, friends. When Jesus came into this world, having been the eternal son at the right hand of the Father, in the bosom of the Father from all eternity, when he came into this world, he came as a man. And the Gospel of John says the word became flesh. The word flesh is a very basic, crude word for human being. You could have a more polite word saying man here. The word became a man. It's the word flesh. Flesh. Why? Because flesh is in stark contrast to the glory and the power of God. The weakness of human flesh. This is called the days of his humiliation. This tells us that God works in very normal ways to do his will. And when we look at our lives and we say, well, I haven't had an angel speaking to me. In fact, if you come, some people see more angels before breakfast than Paul saw in his whole life. And I just call those people crazy. I don't, I don't call them spiritual. You may be like me, living by faith and enjoying occasional times of supernatural visitation that is almost as if you could say, look, look, there he is right in front of us. But most of the time we live out our life in the daily routine, dare I say, drudgery of natural human living. Praise God. And that means that the things you are going through now in your life if they seem to be oppressive to you, understand this, that God has entered our humanity and in the frailty of human flesh, he has been through at root level every single thing we ever go through. He knows how you feel. God is with us, not just in the moments when the lights are shining and the spiritual pyrotechnical display of fireworks is, is illuminating the inner life of our, of our heart, but even more than that when you don't necessarily feel his presence, but you know by faith you will not trust in humanity alone because God is your help, God is your strength, and Emmanuel is with you. 
then I want you to realize that this is a saving presence, the saving nature of his presence. He's called Jesus, which is the Greek name for Yeshua or Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves, or better still, Yahweh is salvation. You see, he, he didn't save by just saying, okay, here it is, I'm signing off, I'm writing off all their debts, Gabriel, take this, copy for me, top copy for me, Father, Second copy, son. Third copy, Holy Spirit. And you have photocopy. Take photocopy downstairs and tell them it's all done. No, 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 no. He didn't just act to save us. He came to save us. No other religion has that. He came to save us. We don't just say Jesus saves. We say Jesus is my salvation. We don't just say Jesus comforts. We say, Jesus is my comforter. It's personal. It's relating to him. It's who he is. Jesus is my healer. He is my provider. He is my sanctifier. He is my strength. He is my song. He is my salvation. Emmanuel, God with us. And because of this, it means there is hope. How could we possibly imagine that this high and holy God who inhabits eternity, how could he possibly dwell with us, not with the arrogant and the proud, but with the humble who say, God, forgive me for my sins. Even Mary confessed him as God, my Savior. She was not a sinless woman. She needed saving. And you and I need saving. So when he comes back to say, I'm coming back to my people, and by the way, don't worry. Because they thought if God came back, the nation's in a sinful state, all God would do would vaporize them. He says, no, no, I've dealt with it. The blood of Jesus washes and cleanses from every sin. The one who came to be born and, and, and live in this world is the one who grew up to become the sacrificial savior, the sacrifice for our sins. And because of that, his presence is a saving presence. And it's not just that through him our sins are forgiven, but it's through his presence that we become like him. When you are in the presence of God, you guys are getting a stiff neck, aren't you? Having <laughs> to look up here. It's like when you're in the presence of God, you're rubbing shoulders with divinity. You're rubbing shoulders with his holiness and, and something happens. You're being changed by the Holy Spirit as you fellowship with the God who saves and the God who sanctifies and the God who will glorify you in the presence of God forever. What a mighty God we serve. Let's give Jesus a big, Jesus a big praise. <laughs>